Zach, one of your hosts, and the other host is Chris. Chris, how are you doing, and how was your Thanksgiving? I'm doing great, Zach. Great to hear you. What's up, everyone? Thanks for listening around the world. My Thanksgiving was was great. It was terrific. We hosted. We had family and friends. Really pleasant. Terrific food. Terrific company. Um, just re- really, really nice time. So Thanksgiving is a special holiday. Um, you know, hopefully everyone had a Thanksgiving as well. Zach, how how was your Thanksgiving? I hope it was terrific. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I think I ate more this year than I have in years past, and that really affected my stomach. It was it was an uncomfortable like, oh, I ate too much, you know. And then I ate too much, and my stomach hurt. And once it started to not hurt as much, then I ate pie. So <laughs> um, that's pretty much all you need to know right there. Yeah, it was good though. It was good um, for for those of you who do celebrate Thanksgiving. Hopefully, you all had a good one with family and friends, and uh, it was an enjoyable time for you. Uh, Chris, it's been um, about a week since we had recorded our last episode. Here we are recording on Friday, November 26th, the day after Thanksgiving. Yes. And uh, so how was your how was how was the last week or so since our recording for you? Last week was good. Last week was 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 great. You know, um, it was a short work week for me. So so I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, I had plenty of work, but but still having these these days off uh, for this week is, is good to do. Um, been reading some science fiction books here and there. So I'm enjoying that, but enjoying, enjoying the family, enjoying Star Trek. When I get a chance to watch that, you know, I, as you know, Zach, I'm watching Star Trek enterprise now. So I'm making my way yes. through that show. Did, so. did you start season two yet? Yes, I did. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the beginning of season two, and I am enjoying it immensely. Um, yeah, so it's all new to me since I never, I never really watched the Star Trek Enterprise when it was first out. So now it's just I get to see it with fresh eyes, um, just enjoying it like Im- immensely. And uh, I guess this is this is not spoilers for for you, Zach. I remember I think you had said this to me a little while back, but um. I guess I, I found out that Vulcans invented Velcro. So that's the thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's funny. But your, how, was your week, how was your week since our last podcast? Yeah, not bad. Uh, just, just, just working and, um, you know, yeah, I think just, just pretty much working. Nothing too crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there has been a lot of stuff going on since our last recording as far as things that our audience needs to know yes and so without further ado let's get into uh the things our audience needs to know for this week as of november 26th uh 2021 so the first thing chris now i want to tell you about this real quick so the first thing is a hawkeye is now out streaming on disney plus so if you have not watched it the first two episodes have been released and i watched both those episodes today Holy smokes, you did? I did. Whoa. Yeah, I know. It's a miracle. I never find time to get to watch anything, <laughs> let alone watch it on time. But I did. I watched the first two episodes. My kids actually watched the the latter part of the first episode and most of the second episode with me um, this morning. And it was really good. Actually, I enjoyed it. There was a little bit of a Christmas feel to it because it takes place around Christmas time. At least this first season does. But the, but it, being there's only two episodes out, it was good. You, you, meet, a, you meet a new character called um, Kate Bishop. Uh, she's kind of sort of the main character along with Hawkeye. Um, but yeah, it was good. 
I uh, really enjoyed the first two episodes. So if you get a chance to check it out, be sure to go check out Hawkeye, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Nice. Yeah. So the second, the second thing – hang on one second. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, my dog is going nuts here. Okay, so the <laughs> second thing our audience needs to know for this week, Chris, is that San Diego Comic-Con International is back after a two-year hiatus, obviously due to COVID – uh, and now normally it, 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 it's usually in July timeframe, obviously this is November, but it is back. I believe it is currently going on right now in San Diego. So it's been two years and some change since Comic-Con International in San Diego, which is usually, you know, it's the huge one. It's 250,000 people. I don't know if that's many, how many people were there this year, but, uh, it is back after two year hiatus and, uh, it's nice to start seeing a lot of this stuff starting to come back to some semblance of normalcy minus all the mask wearing it's. Nice to see stuff starting to get back to normal. Nice. Now, now this is the huge one, right? This, yes. this Comic Con is like one of the biggest. This is the massive know. one. This is the one where, if you remember the episode of The Big Bang Theory, where Sheldon, uh, Leonard, Raj, and Howard are all sitting on their computers, keep hitting the refresh button over and over again because they're trying to get in a queue to get tickets to Comic Con <laughs> in San Diego. <laughs> and nice. they, they, it's the great one of my one of one of the funniest scenes I think in, in Big Bang Theory. Where they're all sitting around in the in the in the Sheldon's in how, uh, Leonard's apartment on their computers, and they just keep hitting the button. They're all like refresh, 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 trying to get tickets, you know. And of course, they don't, uh, and they end up buying tickets that are fake. Anyway, it's a long story. But anyways, so yeah, after two years, San Diego Comic Con International is back, and that's awesome to see. Oh, that's gonna be great. Yeah. So oh, yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's very hard to get tickets. It's like a lottery system, and just because you went last year doesn't mean you're guaranteed the next year. And so it's. It's very tough. I, I'd love to go sometime. We should make that a goal to get to San Diego Comic Con at least once in our lifetime. Yeah, let's do that. I have never, I've never been to, um, uh, to a San Diego Comic Con. I think I've been to San Diego, but I've never been to, uh, I've never been to a huge Comic Con or major, major Comic Con. Been to some some small ones, but yeah, let's definitely do that. Yeah, um, and make that our goal. It's I, a, it's a, it's a must do for sure. I mean, you know, either. Either bring bring some Axe body spray or some clothespins for your nose for all the nerds who aren't wearing deodorant. But anyways, um, yeah. So <laughs> I, I would, but I, I'm joking, of course. Although maybe maybe just a little bit. But anyways, um, I I definitely want to go. Uh, it's a massive massive event, and it's really something. I think if you're a nerd out there, if you're a geek out there, uh, it's definitely something you got to do. I think for sure, uh, it's definitely got to be on the bucket list of things to do. Uh, anyways, okay, Chris, the third thing our audience needs to know this week is, now this is this has been out for a little while, but uh, the reason I'm bringing it up now is because it's the the opportunity to, to help fund this thing is going to end on December 12th, and that is Hasbro Toys, who's, who, who has made a, a Ghostbusters Egon Spengler proton wand or the actual thing that they hold in their hands and shoot out the proton stream um you've been able to buy that in stores and you can still buy it on their website for 125 dollars. what they're doing though is they are crowdfunding through their website called hasbro pulse you can go google it uh the, a ghostbusters uh proton pack it's egon's proton pack and it's done up like the one that phoebe wears in Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is what we're going to talk about this evening. Nice. Now, it is 
kind of expensive. It does not come out until 2023, but it is so lifelike looking. It is so fantastic looking, and they have enough backers. They've reached level one, which means it'll come with the cable to connect the wand, if you already have it, which I do, to the backpack. And although it lights up, it makes noises, it's all weathered. I mean, it looks incredible. Yeah, actually, as you were talking, I was looking that up. Um, it looks very authentic. It does. I actually pre-ordered one. Oh, nice. Because I'm that huge of an uber nerd and a massive Ghostbusters fan. So I already have the Proton wand. And since it'll go with the pack, you have to almost. So it's a must. So go check it out, Hasbro Pulse, and check out their thing. They're closing in on 11,000 backers, which will unlock level two, which comes with a Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, uh expansion thing with some mini state puff marshmallow man and all this cool stuff anyways Sweet. so chris what's the fourth thing that our audience needs to know this week yeah the fourth thing you know we talked about a little bit about this when we did our marvel episode marvel cinematic universe episode and maybe some of our listeners already knew this was happening but i sure didn't so i wanted to to share this with maybe some listeners that didn't didn't know so so i was looking up marvel things and I came across the trailer for Moon Knight. And Moon Knight was one of those... Wait, the trailer is out for that? Yeah. It was like a is... teaser trailer. Oh, a teaser trailer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, with Oscar Isaacson is in it. So I had no idea. Uh, at least at least this is what it, what it says on the interwebs. Like Oscar I- Isaacson is in there um, as Moon Knight. And Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter. Sharon Car- Carter looks to be like a character in Moon Knight too. So... Did you just say the interwebs? I did. Interwebs that people look up, you know, online with the Netscape navigator. and That uh, makes you sound older than you are, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, you know, just an old soul. That's all. No worries. (laughs) That's cool, though. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um, You know, I... I don't know a lot about Moon Knight, but he gets his powers from from the Egyptian gods somehow. Uh, And I know Moon Knight has several different kind of uh, personalities. Uh, So check it out, everyone. If if you don't know a lot about Moon Knight, um, you know, look him up on on online on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Look up his history on the the Marvel website. Uh, It's supposed to be six episodes, so. Well, that sounds about right because a yeah. lot of the streaming shows from Marvel have been six episodes in the first season. Loki was that way, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm sure Hawkeye will be the same way. So that sounds like they're pretty pretty common trend. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a common thing that people say about Moon Knight is that uh, Moon Knight is Marvel's version of the Batman. Um, so that's uh, it's a common thing people say. I, I don't know Moon Knight deep enough to talk about all the differences, but... It's well, it can't, it can't be Batman, though, because think about it. Moon Knight, if it gets his power from the Egyptian gods, Batman yeah. didn't have any superpowers, so it really can't yeah. be Batman. That's correct. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Somebody's not nerd enough. They should have caught that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. They, they should have. So well, That's cool that Emily Van Camp is coming back as, as Agent Carter. I know she's been in, a, in a, a several of the Avengers movies and Captain America and all that stuff, so that's pretty cool. She was in Falcon and Winter Soldier as well. Oh, was she? Okay, see, that's another show I still need to watch. Yeah, I and actually, when, when you watch I really enjoyed uh, her character. There's some twists and turns in there, but she played a major part in there, uh, which was nice was nice to see her character make a return there. So yeah, um, I think 
yeah, I think you'll enjoy that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay, Chris, let's jump into what we're here, what we're all here for, and what uh, we all know the audience is ready to hear, and that is let's talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Now, for those of you who have not seen it, I will let you know when to cut out from the episode so there's no spoilers because the first couple things we can talk about, Chris, we're not going to really spoil anything, mm-hmm. right? We'll, we'll, we'll get into the spoiler stuff here in a few minutes, but I'll give you the, the fair warning that, hey, spoilers are coming. Go ahead and stop listening here and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode once you've seen the movie uh, so that you don't get spoiled, unless you don't care. Some people actually don't care. They, they don't, they'll listen to reviews and stuff and then they'll go see it and they don't really care about it. Anyways, overall, Chris, let's talk about our overall, without getting into too many details, our overall impressions of Ghostbusters Afterlife. For me, I was um, super, super excited. This movie, I believe, was supposed to come out early 2020. Mm-hmm. And here it is, November of 2021. It was like an 18-month wait or something like that that we had to wait before we got it. But to me, it was worth the wait. It was a long wait, but it was well worth it. I'm a massive Ghostbusters fan. I think I've said this in episodes before. I grew up with the Ghostbusters. I wanted to be a Ghostbuster when I was a kid. I asked my parents to they build me a proton pack and Ecto-1, and uh, that's what I wanted to be. I had all the Ghostbuster toys and the dress-up stuff, you know, the, the Ghostbuster suit and, uh, you know, all those things. I, I mean, I'd seen the movies a billion times and the real Ghostbusters cartoons, and, I mean, just I was a Ghostbuster fanatic. Uh so for me, um, you know, as excited as I was, I had a, some skepticism in it just based on the fact of this 2016 movie they did that was absolutely horrendous. And again, nothing against the, the, the actors and the actresses in it. It was just it wasn't a good movie, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, overall, I absolutely felt like it was an incredible, great, quote unquote, third movie to the franchise, because like you don't consider the new Star, Star Wars fran- uh, trilogy <laughs> as canon. I don't consider that all-girl one in 2016, I think it's the year it came out, canon at all. In fact, this movie literally dismisses that movie from canon. Rightfully so. Thankfully, they did that. Now, for those of you who don't know, the director of Ghostbusters Afterlife is a guy named Jason Reitman. His dad is Ivan Reitman, the director of the original two Ghostbusters movies. And oh, by the way, in Ghostbusters number two, the beginning of the movie when when uh, Ray and Winston show up to the birthday party and they're there dancing or whatever and the kid starts yelling, he-man, he-man. Yeah. The kid that comes up to the Ghostbusters a- afterwards and says, uh, he looks at me and goes, you know, my dad says you guys are full of crap. He like And Ray's like, well, some people have a hard time believing in the paranormal. He's like, no, my dad just says you guys are full of crap and that's why he went out of business. That is Jason Reitman as a kid. Oh. Which is hysterical because he's talking about how his dad says they're full of crap and his dad's a director yeah. in real life. So a lot of people don't necessarily know that fact or maybe they didn't before. I think that's been publicized now. But um, I just think that's a unique little piece to the, the franchise. But um, yeah, overall, really great movie uh, from top to bottom. I thought the writing was so well done it was a very well thought out script which you can understand why the original cast signed on to do this movie i mean especially you know if you could bill murray into a movie it has to be something that he thinks is worthwhile right he doesn't just do anything he he's very 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 picky about what he does 
Um, I felt overall the jokes that were referenced that referenced previous movies, the previous movies weren't overdone. Uh, they were well placed. Um, you know, there were there were some corny jokes in the movie, but they were the they were corny jokes, but they were making fun of themselves. So they weren't taking the corny jokes as this is supposed to be a funny joke, but it's just really corny. Actually, you know what I mean? Like they it, they they actually said they actually made it like, hey, this is a corny joke, and you know, so we knew that. Um, I think the casting overall was really spot on for the different characters, especially the new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you kind of worry about a movie nowadays being over CGI to death. And I really felt like not only was a CGI incredible looking in this movie, uh, worthy of a Ghostbusters title, but they did a good job of blending the CGI with practical, you know, this doesn't give anything away because in the trailer, you see the terror dog in Walmart chasing Paul Rudd's character, uh, that that first time you see the 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 terror dog with like his head in the in the dog food bag and his head comes out that i don't believe that's cgi i think that's an actual animatronic terror dog like in the original movies you know i I was thinking the same thing at that scene um and i was happy that it wasn't or at least it did not appear to be cgi to me yeah i don't think it was it looked very real like what they would call like like practical CG, uh, practical special effects, right? Like ones that are f- actual physical things versus something generated by a computer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, and, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It and just like you, it made me feel like it reminded me of the original Ghostbusters from '84. It's like, yeah, that looks looks really sim- similar. It looks the same. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, we get to see Ecto again. I mean, anytime you get to see that big old Cadillac, you know, it's just, it's great. I, I mean, that car, you're going to have a hard time arguing any car is more iconic in cinematography history than that car. You can argue the DeLorean from Back to the Future, but I really <laughs> think Ecto is probably the most recognizable, most iconic car in movie and TV history. Um, and so seeing that again was great. There's so, we'll talk about this more later, but there's so, and hopefully you caught them. There's so many Easter eggs from the first two movies in this. It's fantastic. Um, so again, does it overall rating, if, if we were to give a grade out for this movie, I would, I would definitely give it an A minus for sure. Um, there's a couple minor little things, but overall, um, a, it's in the A range, A minus for me for the movie. What about you, Chris? I'm, I'm curious to hear your just your overall impressions and thoughts without getting into the spoilers yet uh, of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Especially yeah. if you just saw it tonight or today, so it's real fresh. Yeah, I did just see it. See it. I got and I got to see it with my family, so really, really enjoyed that. Saw it with my wife um, and my my daughter and son, and um, that was a great experience. So at at the end of the movie. Uh, this is a good summation of, of how we felt about it. But my wife said, goes, wow, I think that was one of the best movies ever. That was, that was uh, how much like she liked it. And I really, really, really liked it. I, I liked the feel of it. I liked, I liked the pacing of it. And just like uh, we talked a little bit earlier, it wasn't, it wasn't like a breakneck speed pace of movie. It unfolded itself. You know, it was a nice kind of, unfolding of the of the movie and unraveling some of the mystery of the movie um and then it picked up you know pacing near the end particularly when we got to the the climax of the movie and i so enjoyed 
the actors, actually all, all of them, uh, that Carrie, um, Carrie Coon that played the mother and, and Paul Rudd that played Mr. Gary, that played Gary Gruberson. He was so funny in the movie and I, you know, he's funny in a lot of his movies, but, but I thought they, they were great. And then the, the, the child actors, they all did a fantastic job. And what the movie reminded me of was this real feeling of the Goonies. Now, if you're, if you're old enough to remember the Goonies movie, I felt that. That is a classic movie. Yeah. Classic classic movie. movie. Yeah. I felt that. I felt, had this Goonies vibe as well as um, Gremlins. If you remember Gremlins uh, 1 and Gremlins 2 had that kind of vibe in the movie and, you know, was set set in a small town. And I love movies that are set in, in a small town with a lot of mystery behind them. Uh, so it, it, it had this nice pace of, of the, the kids unraveling what, what's happening like around them. And, you know, speeding up to this great, great kind of climactic event and climactic battle scene uh, at the end. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that as well as homage to the, the first two Ghostbusters films, uh, which were great. And I, and I thought very artfully, um, artfully done with a lot of craftsmanship. Uh, So it, it rates very, very high for me. I'm super glad we saw it in the theaters. Super glad I got to see it with with the family. Um, I think it's going to hold hold a, hold a lot of uh, memories for me. Very emotion, some very touching and emotional parts in the movie too. And and kind of you know doesn't get too heavy into like family dynamics, but you know it does does touch on them. You know it touches on on father-daughter relationships, mother-daughter relationships, all of that. It's in there. So very, very genuine and sweet. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly, Chris. There was some real touching, touching moments in the movie for sure. Um, had me tearing up at the end, uh, <laughs> you know, 150%. Um, I'm curious, Chris, if you could give it a, a grade like I did, you know, mm-hmm. A through F or you know, everything in between, what what would your grade be? Um, I, it? Yeah, thanks. I I like to give it a solid A because that's how I, I felt about it. There are some parts um, that I'll probably ask you like I, that I got confused. So, so I got confused in a little bit of it. Um, and there's some parts of the movie where I wouldn't have, I would not have even minded it being a little bit lo- longer to kind of ex- expound on uh, backdrop and, and mystery, but the way it made me feel, um, and how I felt about the characters, um, I give it like a nice, a nice solid A. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so definitely A's for both of us. And like I said, I have that minus on there just from a couple little things, but there's nothing, nothing major, nothing significant. Um, it's just a couple, couple things that I wasn't, you know, super keen on. But anyways, yeah. Um, so yeah, we look at this movie. Okay, so for those of you listening to the podcast right now, uh. This is the point, if you have not seen it and you do not want to be spoiled, this is the point where you should go ahead and shut this off now and then come back to it after you've seen the movie. Because we're going to now dive into the movie. We're going to talk through it, talk about some different aspects of it that we enjoyed, things like that. 
break down the movie and give us give you an over well we kind of did a little bit of an overall read we're going to give us a review of some of the details and things uh, as the movie unfolds uh so we're definitely going to be doing lots of spoilers so go ahead and cut us out here and then come back after you've seen the movie with that being said chris let's follow it proceed into the spoiler part of this episode nice so you know, we look at the cast, and this isn't a spoiler here, but, you know, Paul Rudd, I was a little bit worried when I saw Paul Rudd in it, not because he's not a fantastic actor, he's not really funny. I was worried that I would see too much Ant-Man mm. in this movie, and I didn't. He did such a great job of distinguishing himself mm-hmm. um, in this movie to make him believable as the character of Mr. Gruberson. Now, Mr. Gruberson is this... We meet, we meet him a little ways into the movie um, a- after uh, uh, Callie and her kids, Trevor and Phoebe, um, moved to, I th- was it, I couldn't remember off the top of my head, was it Somerville, Oklahoma? Somerville. Was that, yep. It was Somerville, Somerville, wasn't it? Yep, yep, you're okay. right. Somerville, okay. So they moved to Somerville. And, and Phoebe meets Mr. Gruberson in summer school, not because she's a bad student, but her mom... Callie just wants to give her something to do basically during the day. So we find this Mr. Gruberson. He's, uh, we find out he's a very lousy summer school teacher because <laughs> he p- puts on these horrific movies that are not kid appropriate and then goes in the back because he's studying the town, all these seismic activities. And in, in the trailer, you see this part where he's like, yeah, this, all the, the, all this shaking going on in a town that's nowhere near a fault line. They're wondering what it is. So um, at the beginning, Beginning of the movie, the very beginning of the movie, we see what appears to be Egon because they don't show his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, they show the outline, they kind of show the hair, they show some features without fully showing him. Obviously, because Harold Ramis has passed away, they show Egon what looks to be dealing with something on his own. He's 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 got this over old rundown farmhouse and land, and he appears to be. Um, dealing with this huge mountain we see that huge mountain in the beginning right and you see the the proton stream shooting up and he he's coming he's driving back in his in this truck and he's screaming back and um he's got this ghost trap with him and he try and it looks like he's trying to lure some ghost or something onto his farm and trap it uh and the trap fails it doesn't work doesn't come on the way it's supposed to he runs inside he sits down in this chair and then it appears as though he is attacked by the terror dogs or arms or something very similar to the way dana barrett was attacked in her chair in the first ghostbusters movie in her apartment Mm. okay so we get that that's how the movie kind of starts uh yeah that's good. You know, I, when I saw that, I got a little bit confused on what was happening at, at, at there. You know, I was, yeah, that's I was, a total throwback to the first movie with how Dana is is captured. Although in this oh. case, Egon is killed. Okay. Um, but uh, but with Dana, she was captured to become the the gatekeeper, I believe it was, um, and to be turned into a terror dog. She becomes, you know, Zool. Yeah. There is no Dana, only Zool. You know. Um, and so uh, then it breaks, and then you, you, we in enters Callie, who we who we meet. Um, and I think the trailer and the way they advertise the movie kind of gives it away that this woman and her kids are related to Egon. We we we, we kind of already know that going to the movie, you already know that Egon is 
is a relative of theirs. They don't fully explain, I don't believe, how they're related to Egon in the trailer or trailers. Mm-hmm. But we find out Callie is Egon's only child, his daughter. Uh, we find out that Trevor, uh, played by Finn Wolf- Wolfhard, is Callie's oldest son. McKenna Grace, who's a rising star, she's only 15 years old, plays Phoebe, Callie's youngest, happens to look like a young female Egon, as you probably noticed, Chris. Yes. And obviously that was intentional. Um, we, get, we, also, uh, we also meet a little bit later in the movie uh, actor named Logan Kim, who plays the character Podcast, who I actually thought was really funny. And, he was hilarious. Uh, yeah. He was in the, you know, you never know when you get these, 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 these kid characters where they're trying to be funny and stuff, how they're going to come off. I actually thought it was well done, and he was a nice little balance to Phoebe. Mm-hmm. throughout the movie because they become we, we we find we we see as they become friends in the movie uh he's a nice little comedic balance to the whole thing which is awesome um we get we also meet uh an actress named celeste o'connor who plays lucky she is uh trevor's love interest uh he meets her at work and i believe is it called spinner's diner yeah that's yeah. where Trevor gets the job, and it's really nasty. They they cook like burgers and stuff, and it's pretty much the only place in town you can get a job. Just you know, working working during the summertime. Um, and then later on in the movie, we meet J.K. Simmons, as you may know from the Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet him, and he plays Evo Shandor. Now, Evo Shandor may sound familiar because Evo Shandor is the guy who designed the apartment building that Dana Barrett lived in in the first Ghostbusters movie. Now, this movie, you probably noticed, Chris, the movie, uh, the majority of the movie is an homage to the first Ghostbusters movie. There aren't a ton of Ghostbusters 2 references in this movie. Most of the references are towards the first Ghostbusters movie. And so, obviously, Evo Shandor being, uh, uh, you know, from that first movie, the reference in the first movie, you obviously don't ever see him or anything. Well, then we, we see his body that ends up coming to life later. But uh, so fast. So let's let's go back real quick. Um, so we find out Callie, who is Egon's daughter, is broke and has to move from their apartment with her two kids to Egon's old farm because they were going to like, you know, come there, try to sell it, get the money and then move away. And then her kids find out, no, we're here for more than just a week to clean up grandpa's old stuff. Like we, we don't have anywhere else to go. Um, and uh they arrive there after he's passed, and they realize that uh, after they arrive in Somerville, in Somerville, they might be in trouble. Um, the the ground shaking all the time, and then you 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 find out that the kids, and I believe Trevor's the first one to actually do it. Uh, Trevor discovers this mine along with some of his friends. He goes up with there mm-hmm. is haunted in some way. Now at the beginning of the movie. Uh, we see the, this truck driving away from the mountain really fast that we know Egon is in, and the mine above it says, like, Shandor Mining Company, which is an homage to Evo Shandor. Uh, and it's a very interesting, so he, you know, so going back, um, Trevor and his friends find this mine, it's kind of haunted, and then later Phoebe comes across it with, with podcasts, and uh, I think that's the order, maybe her and podcasts. Yeah. And- find it first it's been like a little about a week since i went and saw the movie um but you know overall we see so we see the kids start to team up as the movie progresses and uh they realize that uh there's something going on in this town the first sign of it 
is uh, when Phoebe and podcast in the some, the abandoned it was like an abandoned processing facility where they process that that metal that they were mining out of the out of there. Do you remember that part? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and so Phoebe has the the proton pack on, and uh, she is tr- they're trying to capture this big fat ghost. They're, they call it a muncher because he's like literally munches and eats steel and metal and then spits it back out like bullets. Um, and that's where you first see that okay, there's there's some ghosts in this in this town and they and then they end up trapping it and then the movie goes on blah 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 yeah so uh we get a lot of stuff in this movie chris um that, that goes back to the first movie and it's primarily based around gozer the gozerian zool the terror dogs all that we saw in the first one now one of the things that i have a bit of an issue with is at the end of the first movie they neutralize the gateway and goes to the Gozerian and the Teradol, they all seem neutralized. So how, and they were neutralized, oh, by the way, in our dimension, not in the, for not in their own dimension. So how do they all of a sudden come back mm. in this movie? That's what they don't really explain. Unless when they were neutralized, it sent them automatically back to their dimension. But I, you assume at the end of the first Ghostbusters that, uh being neutralized means they're they're like they're gone they're dead they're not alive or they're not well they're not really alive i guess but you know what i mean yeah yeah i'll have to i'll have to watch the original ghostbusters again uh soon kind of refresh my memory on yeah if you go back and watch it you might catch stuff in that movie that you remember seeing in the afterlife and like oh there's an easter egg yeah you know yeah but there's a lot of there's a lot of um, callbacks to the first Ghostbuster movie. And uh, basically, you know, the movie goes on. And uh, again, you know, I don't want to go through every second of the movie here. We'd be here for hours. Uh, and not only that, but then, you know, people who've watched the movie are like, yeah, we get it. We know. We've seen it. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they go through the movie and, and, and they're, 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 they team up. You know, you get Lucky Trevor and Phoebe and podcasts are all teaming up. Uh, and they resurrect Ecto and... Um, they uh they go to the mountain and then they end up finding a way to fight uh gozer and they end up drawing gozer out and back to the farm and then they trap gozer and there's that huge pivotal scene at the end with the the original ghostbusters cast shows up and honestly i kind of figured that the original guys wouldn't show up till towards the end of the movie anyways right um we might even have that conversation off off air about how you know, my, my, I think my initial thought, what I said was, yeah, they're in the movie, but my guess is they won't be until the end. And that's pretty much what happened. Um, but uh, it was a touching ending. And uh, what, what were your thoughts overall, Chris, um, about the ending itself? Like what, 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 I mean, obviously there's a lot to stand out about it, but, but what did you like about the ending so much? I had a, so I, I had a feeling that the original Ghostbusters, um, we're going to come at the kind of this, this low, low point where, where they thought the battle was going to be lost um, during the climax. And and that's what happened. And, and when they came in, uh, you know, I was, I was, in, I wanted to cheer like out loud in the theater, like when they came in, cause I was expecting it. But when I saw it, I was like, Oh yes, you know, they're there. Um, oh, and it was, okay. Real quick, Chris, I got, yeah. I got to interrupt you real quick. Because when I went to the theater with my daughter to see it yeah. last Saturday and the original guy showed up on the screen, I started 
cheering and hollering and clapping and then the whole rest of the theater did the same thing so i don't know if if somebody else somebody else probably would have done it anyways but i got so excited just as the camera pans up and you see them in their in their in their uh proton packs and their uh ghostbuster jumpsuits and uh you know when, when bankman's like did you miss us? You know, and he, and, and he, he's like, Hey, flat top. Did you miss us or whatever? Yeah. Uh, to Gozer. And, um, uh, I thought that was epic and I just got so excited. I just burst out. I couldn't help myself and the whole rest of the, 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 uh, theater did the same thing. So it was pretty cool. Oh yeah. It was, it was excellent. It was an excellent, you know, an excellent climatic climactic battle and all of them, you know, contributed to, to defeating and, um, you know, ultimately defeating Gozer. You had you had the original Ghostbusters. You had uh, Callie and Phoebe and and her brother. They were all battling there. Um, but you know there was that there was that moment um, where you think they're all beaten. So Gozer takes out uh, Winston and and Vinkman and and the other one. And you see Phoebe. So Phoebe comes in and she's all alone. And then she. You know, she she unleashes her proton pack to Gozer, and you, you see them really, really, really intensely battling, and then you see the hand. You see this this translucent hand support uh, Phoebe, and you see it pan up, and it and you see it as Spangler, um, and that was awesome. That that was that was really special, and 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 moving and you see Spangler you know, join the other Ghostbusters and um, they all join together to defeat Gozer. So not only was the, the climax and the end battle, you know, exciting. Um, it was also touching. Yeah. I guess you could use the word, you know, se- sentimental too. And it doesn't end there because you get to see them all, react to Spangler, his, his granddaughter and his grandson and his daughter and his other teammates, the Ghostbusters. They all have their own individual moment, moments with, with Spangler. Really, really beautiful ones, um, you know, with the final moment between uh, Spangler and his daughter, Callie, which is even more, more meaningful because, you know, throughout the movie, Callie's struggling with the relationship or lack of relationship that she had with her father. You know, yeah, she felt like that. she felt like her father abandoned her to go run off to some farmhouse and didn't know why. And that touching scene late in the movie when she goes down into the workshop where Egon was mm-hmm. working, right? And he had all those pictures of her as she's growing up through the years. Uh, and she realizes that it wasn't that he abandoned her, is that he felt like he had to go do this because it was so important that he was saving the world. Yeah, and that and it was really touching. I got teary eyed there because yeah. she's getting teary eyed, and, re- and she's realizing, you know, hey, my dad loved me, and he really, he really cared about me. He just he had something he had to do, and it and it was something that he knew was going to save my life and the lives of everybody else potentially. And Phoebe, Phoebe, his granddaughter, um, you know, she kind of summarized it with with her mom. She said, "Yeah, he, mom, he he knew that he sacrificed himself like for for all of us." Yeah. Um, and, and the, um, the Ghostbusters, his, his teammates, when they share that moment with them at, at the end and they're, they're looking at, 
you know, they're, they're looking at him and he, they didn't understand why Spangler left because Dan Aykroyd's character, you know, said, Oh, he just, he just left us. He left and he took off and he was just, he wasn't making any sense. Um, yeah. And what really got me too is when he's like, yeah, he can like rot in hell or go to hell. I was like, mm-hmm. Whoa, I was like, wow. Yeah. That is not, that was not a line I expected, you know, a, a one Ghostbuster character to say to another. Yeah. Or about another, even, you know, I was like, wow, he really upset you know, you know, them after, you know, all those years following the, the Ghostbusters too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, but, but then they realize and they acknowledge, they, they acknowledge that, yeah, they were wrong. He was right all along and he was there and he sacrificed himself for, for everyone. Um, so I thought that was, you know, it was probably really, really a special moment for those actors too. Um, and I'm sure that's part of why they were there too, to, to, to pay tribute, tribute to, to Harold Ramis. And one of the, one of the most memorable kind of um, climatic scenes and endings that, that I've seen like in, in a while, you know, very special. And uh, you can really kind of feel the, feel the love, you know, Jason Reitman directed it too. So there's just a lot of, of love throughout the whole movie and, and throughout that whole scene. Yeah, you know, Jason Reitman mentions many times that he's a, he's a big fan of Ghostbusters. I mean, he was a kid on the set of Ghostbusters when his dad was directing the, the movies. And, um, you know, it's, it's really special to see that. And typically, and we've seen this in the past, Chris, with other movies, that typically movies that are, and we see this with The Mandalorian, for example, because John Favreau and Dave Filoni are massive Star Wars fans. When a show or a movie is made by, by a fan or fans of that franchise, typically it's treated with such reverence and such loyalty and such love and passion that you know, you know that it's going to be well done. And there really isn't a whole lot of worry because they, you know they're going to treat it right. Mm-hmm. And Jason Reitman absolutely knocks us out of the park. He treats it so right. I think I, I, I read somewhere that Ghostbusters did, I think it was 40 or $60 million in the opening weekend, which is really spectacular. It's doing phenomenal at the movies. Um, you were right at the beginning. This is a movie you need to go see on the big screen. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something to see in the movie theater. Hey, did you get the uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, popcorn and drink combo? Did not have, they didn't have, they didn't have the popcorn one. So I didn't, wasn't able which, to. Which that. kind of theater did you go to AMC or Regal? Uh, Century, Century. I don't know if, it's not, it's not the Regal one. Yeah, it was Oh, maybe it was AMC then. AMC, I think, had these, these limited edition Ecto-1 uh, popcorn bucket or popcorn holder things, but they may have already been gone, sold out from last nice. weekend. Oh, wow. You got um, one, right? You got one? Well, I'm not one of those because we have a Regal here. But I got this. I got this big bucket with Ghostbusters Afterlife on the outside, and then a cup of the same thing. So nice. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I, I kind of splurged. It was more popcorn than I could possibly handle, but <laughs> it was it was good though. Um, so yeah, the, the, for me, the ending was incredible, Chris. The way they the way they paid homage to Harold Ramis. I actually read somewhere that Ivan Reitman actually was the stand-in. So Jason Reitman's dad was the stand-in for Harold for Egon. Uh, for the CGI piece, I, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but that's what I read somewhere. Um, oh, which, that, that would be, that would be Jason, really cool. 
Jason really cool. was the stand-in. He was no, there. no, no. His dad Ivan was the stand-in for Egon. I, I read. Oh, okay, okay. That's really cool if that's the case. I know. I know. Jason mentioned several times that he he consulted with his dad a lot to get his input and his blessings on a lot of the stuff he did. So Ivan had his hand on this uh, in a very very positive way. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the ending was incredible. Um, you, you could tell, I, I think because the original actors knew obviously in the script it was going and everything else, you know, you saw each of the characters, you know, you saw Winston, you saw uh, uh, Ray and you saw Peter, the, the name of the characters um, get emotional. They all had tears in their eyes in the ending. I don't think, I can't imagine those were, acting tears. I think they were real because they were paying homage to their lost buddy. I mean, it, now, of course, it makes you wonder what this movie would have been like had Harold Ramis still been alive to play Egon. Maybe Egon, you know, Egon probably wouldn't have died. The script would have been a little bit, would have been different to a yeah. certain extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's the, the, the way they portrayed the relationships and the way that they reconstructed relationships in this movie both with the original Ghostbusters and then how their characters came to realize what Egon was doing, um, the way they reconcile the, the father-daughter relationship with Egon and his daughter hugging at the end. He's this, like, ghostly apparition. That started – that made me cry. I'm not going to lie. I, I lost mm -hmm. it there. Um, you know, the, the way that uh, – Egon held the hands of his granddaughter and hugged her, Phoebe. Um, it was just so incredibly touching. There, I mean, Jason Reitman wrote this, produced it, directed it. I mean, you got to give him credit. And honestly, this this movie absolutely opens it up for a sequel or even more if they want to do that. Obviously, this movie does really well. They absolutely have the firepower to go do another one. Um, and as long as Jason Reitman's in charge and they continue to do what they did in this one, as far as, you know, the reverence and the homage to the originals, it's, it's going to be a slam dunk again. Yeah. Yeah. Really I, I, I did feel like now there's a, uh, there's a opening, a very, very big opening for like this entirely new, exciting chapter of Ghostbusters. Oh, big time, big time. I think that, so this was, well, let, let's let's save that for the next segment. And we're, we're let's let's get a word from our sponsor, Anchor.fm. When we come back, let's talk about some some final thoughts on just the overall movie and maybe where. Let's talk to Chris. Maybe where we think the the Ghostbusters franchise is headed, what direction it's going from from here, uh, following this movie, and then let's let's get into and talk maybe about um, some. It, you know, if we do have any issues with the movie, whether they're minor or not, let's talk about some of those things that either confused us or we're not, you know, we wondered why it was done that way or whatever. Let's get into that in the next segment. Sounds excellent. Okay, so we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Anchor.fm, with more of Ghostbusters Afterlife Review. Stay tuned. All right, we are back from our break here on the Random Red Shirt Podcast, and we've been talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife in our review of the movie. So, Chris, we had a good long first segment there, and rightfully so. This movie, you know, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, it really was so fantastic, and uh, we covered quite a bit in that first segment, and so a few more things we want to discuss here in the second segment. But, uh, yeah, overall, 
I think both of our impressions of this movie were really spectacular. Yes, very strongly positive. Yeah, definitely. So let's let's get into um, some a couple of things each that we either maybe were confused about or didn't make sense to us, or maybe we had an issue with. I'm not sure, but why don't you go first, Chris? What what are some things and and it's possible, you know, some of the things that I saw you could clarify and then vice versa. So we can maybe clarify for each other if we need to, if not, then it's just something we have to kind of work through. But what are some things that you can remember from the movie earlier today that either were confusing to you or you didn't like or, or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I I talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast, but at, at the very beginning where, where Egon is, he's battling the ghosts and he's running back to his, uh, his farmhouse. You know, I still, I wasn't sure what, you know, what happened. I knew something happened where, where Egon was killed, but you know, you know, I see him with this ghost trap and then I thought he had caught a ghost, but wasn't sure. But then the demons, the demon dog came and then he was killed. And then, and then you saw, uh, the ghost energy rush and come out and go towards the mountain. So when I saw that, it was at the very beginning of the movie. I was like, what happened? Is that, is that, uh, that energy? Is that, is that Egon or is he gone or is that the ghost or what just happened? Uh, And I thought he just caught the ghost. Yeah. I think from what I remember, um, he caught the ghost and I believe the ghost he caught was either the key master or the gatekeeper was one of the quote unquote terror dogs. Okay. And I thought, from what I remember, and you just saw it today, so correct me if I'm wrong, I thought the ghost didn't head back to the mountain until Paul Rudd's character, Mr. Um, uh, geez, why did his name just escape me? Gary Gruber. Uh, yeah, Gruber. Gr- yeah. Gruberson. Gruberson. Mr. Gruberson, played by Paul Rudd. Remember when they're out on the bus and they, oh, like, yeah. they, they open up the thing and then they let it out and it like freaks them out and then it flies off? Yeah, yeah, and that was the other part that was confusing to me. That was um, in the trap that Egon had. That was in so what was confusing to me was okay, then what what at the beginning because at the very beginning of the movie there was some energy ball that came out from from the farm. But then the trap the trap that Phoebe finds, right? So so there's this kind of there's this relationship happening with the ghost of Egon kind of directing phoebe like through it when when uh they first move into the farmhouse and and he's he's playing chess with her he's directing her to various things and then i felt okay it was the ghost of egon that kind of directed phoebe to find the trap is that how you also understood it and uh because the trap is under the floor it's under the floor right by the yeah uh, yeah that was a part of me like when he died he dropped the trap on the ground but then we find the trap under the floorboard yeah. So then, here's what I'm thinking, though. So let's go back for one quick second, Chris, because yeah. throughout we didn't really talk about this. Throughout the movie, Phoebe begins getting visited by what appears to be a ghost. Right. The first instance is when she has the chessboard set up in her room, and and there's a ghost that moves the first chess piece. So she starts playing chess with this ghost. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then she heads down and she she discovers Egon's workshop, and Egon's ghost, which we later find out it was that's who it was moves the light and is like showing her, you know, where things are at to help her fix or put back together this proton pack of his that's down there. So 
it's possible, I think, and they, you know, they don't explain it. And that was one, that was one thing I was going to bring up. So I'm glad you brought it up. They don't explain it, but Egon, I think Egon's ghost once after he passed, took the trap and hid the trap under the floorboard. So nobody would open it and unleash that terror dog ghost. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's what happens, even though they don't actually explain it. You know what I mean? That's what I thought too. And then I got confused because, because I, I interpreted it as, so Egon's ghost tells Phoebe, Hey, there's this trap. And you know, Phoebe gets it and gets the, the trap into their floorboards. But then, of course they're going to open it. And that's what you don't want to happen is, is to open it because the other terror dog is in it. So by, by opening the trap, because Mr. Gruberson opens the trap, they set, you know, that kind of chain of events in motion. So yeah, what, wouldn't you think though, Chris, that Mr. Gruberson is, who's this, we, we, we learn learn that he's like a seismologist. He studies earthquakes and all that kind of stuff like that. And he, mm-hmm. he's this, this summer school teacher. Wouldn't you think that him uh, trying to jumpstart this trap with the the battery off a school bus probably wasn't the best idea? That was such not a good idea. And maybe Egon thought, you know, if if his if he was nudging Phoebe to discover the trap, that he believed that she was capable of either containing the thing or recapturing it after it was released. And this is just me speculating Mm because none of this is in the movie. None of this is said or even honestly um insinuated in the movie this is just me kind of thinking out loud about that yeah 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 so those were some yeah that's what i that's what i had about it um and then what else what else what else did you you come up with what do you do you think that they uh, gozer at the end did they just trap gozer or is he or is gozer or is gozer gone See that's a, that yeah that's a good question. Um, yeah, it seems like they they trapped her, mm-hmm. but it also looks like she's neutralized again. <laughs> However, uh, I think it's it's a trap thing. Now they don't they don't show what they do with at her afterwards. Although we we'll talk about that in a second about the very ending after the credits. Um, but. Uh, yeah, like that. Remember that you know, the farm was one giant trap, right? Like yeah. you had those conductors on there that opened up all the traps on the well, it's supposed to, and then Phoebe gets it to work. Well, Trevor actually does by shooting it, but um, the, all the traps on the ground open up, and, and it's one ginormous trap, and it traps them all. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I think that's what happens. And then you look into the very end scene after the end of the 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 whole credits, where Winston is like bringing Ecto back to the original firehouse, you know, and he's like, we're going to get you all fixed up and everything. And then it pans over to the, the, the old containment trap in there and the lights blinking red as if something's still in there. Yeah. I don't think that's that they're hinting that that's where they put Gozer maybe, but that would seem like a bit of a stretch because that would be that now the things went from Oklahoma to New York. So I don't think that's yeah. the case. I think that scene opens it up to another open leaves the door open for another movie i agree right? with that. yeah so anyways what, what what else what other things did you did you find that either irritated you or you didn't understand or anything like that ah uh, those were you know I, I think those those were the main ones you know actually those were were probably the main ones there was not nothing that really um irritated me 
um, throughout the movie. I think my daughter, my daughter and son were like, they didn't like the mom character as much. And I said, Oh, it's okay. Give it, give it some years. And, and, you know, and then they wouldn't mind mom characters so much. Maybe that's because their parents are so strong in my daughter and son's like lives right now. So any, any parental things irritate them, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So that's funny. Yeah, but I, um, you know, as I think through it, uh, no, there was not too many things that that really irritated me very much. I what I do um, appreciate about it was, um, you know, Phoebe's character and and her brother, is her brother Trevor, is that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they're they're new to you know they're new to town, and then. Um, you know Phoebe's character; she's she's very intellectual, very much a scientist, and so they they're going to a new school in a new environment, and uh, Phoebe's able to make friends right away, and I think that's you know, it's that was really positive, and Trevor was able to make friends right away too. Um, so I like that about it about the movie is that the town was uh, well, the town and the people were welcoming to to people moving in, so. Um, that's not always the case, right? In, in movies where you've got people moving in and, um, you know, a lot, a lot of times in, in movies, when kids go to new schools, they're, they're teased a lot, but this movie didn't go there that much. So I really like that. Yeah. But, um, I, yeah, I didn't have too much that, that irritated me. But, okay. Yeah. How about yeah I, I, I didn't either. So, okay. Yeah. Overall, this movie wasn't perfect. I, there's no such thing. There are very well. I think there's no such thing because some people think certain movies are perfect. I don't think there's a such thing as a perfect movie. There's always something you can. There's always something somebody can nitpick, right? For me, it's not something that's annoying or a nitpicky thing. Here, here's a couple things I had questions about. The first thing is when, and we see this in the trailer, and they tease this so hard, and they first came out with the they were going to do this Ghostbusters movie is we see a old rundown beat up Ecto one, right? Mm-hmm. Which you assume is like the one from the first movie. Well, what the hell happened to Ecto one a from Ghostbusters two? Why is the, the, the car that they discover in Egon's barn, not the, why does it look like the one from Ghostbusters two? And it, you know, instead of Ghostbusters one, now, the question was asked to Jason Reitman, apparently, about that, this very question, because they're, basically what they're asking is, what does this mean that Ghostbusters 2 isn't canon, that you're just forgetting, and this is just, this is just a sequel to Ghostbusters, which would be ridiculous, because Ghostbusters 2, I thought, was a great movie. Yeah. Um, and he said, no, not at all, uh, but he, can't, he couldn't really talk about the reason it seemed like or something, so that makes me wonder if they're kind of leading that to the fact that that could be another movie. Nice. So, but then the question becomes, though, does that mean then in Ghostbusters two, when they bring the Ecto back, once they're once the Ghostbusters come back, you know, they win, they win their case in court after they trap the Scolari brothers and the case is dismissed and they come back and they're back in business again, right? Um, the go- Ecto one looks much different than it did in the first movie. The whole mm-hmm. top of the car is different. They have a different logo. You know, the the, the car looks different. A lot different. Um, 
does that mean that, that that one is they just got another another Cadillac and then made a new all new one? Or my always thought, and I think you, you think from watching the original movies, is, is they, they take the first car, which, oh, by the way, is beat up and is smoking like crazy at the beginning of Ghostbusters 2. And it's just kind of, you know, it's run down, right? All the miles they put on it and, and use it for ghost trapping and stuff. That they just take that car and, and and refurbish it and make it into the new one, but maybe maybe this the, the the new Ghostbuster movie or movies is making it seem like that's not the case. So I don't know. That's a really confusing thing for me. Hmm. I know that seems a little bit trivial, but I'm a mega Ghostbusters fan. So these are the kind of things that come to mind. Um, is why why is the Ghostbuster car in this new Ghostbuster movie look like the one from the first movie and not the one the second Ghostbusters movie if it's canon? The Ecto and this should have looked similar to that, and it should have had the Ghostbusters 2 logo and all that. So that's what kind of got me. I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. That's true. It yeah. really doesn't. Yeah. Um, the other thing I have a slight issue with is, yes, Phoebe's smart, and she's incredibly you know, good at inventing things, it seems like, and, and doing science stuff. How is it this girl, she's not very big, how is it this little girl is able to handle the force of a proton pack the very first time she shoots it. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're in this, they're, they're, they're outside this, uh, this abandoned processing facility for this mine that's being used to build these, the, the girders of the, they reference the old girders from the first Ghostbuster movie in the apartment that Ray mentions it while they're in jail. They mentioned that. I can't remember the name of it, of the, uh, the material, but they, this metal. Selenium, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and so they're out there and they uh, podcast has this little like set of uh, targets and she just lights them up and she's like, did I hit him or did I get him whatever? And he's like, did you get him whatever? He's like, you to completely melted him or destroyed him, whatever the line is. It's pretty funny. Um, but how is it that she was able to handle that really strong, you know, force from the proton pack at that? Because you look in the Ghostbusters movies, the, the adults, they were always like holding on. They were shaking like it was, you know. There's a lot of force coming out of this. How can this little 15-year-old girl handle that? That, to me, doesn't... If it's so hard to hold steady for an adult Ghostbuster, how can a little 15-year-old girl handle that? I, I have an explanation. I just made it up. You just made it Okay, what's your explanation, yeah. Chris? Yeah, may, maybe Egon was there all along supporting her every time she used the proton pack. I mean, that's possible, but they made a big emphasis when he reached his hand over and helped her hold it at the end. Yes. He knew she needed the help. So you're telling me she didn't need the help before when she's then they're chasing after that six-armed muncher, fat ghost, blue ghost that they capture, or she's doing target practice, or she's sitting in the uh, the the seat that comes shooting out of the side of the Ecto and everything, and that uh, and shooting the ghost? I mean, that to me is a little hard to believe. Yeah. Now... That's also, you have that gunner seat that comes out of the Ecto. That's not in the first movie. The door does not open that way in the first movie or the second movie. So is that an up, that must have been an addition that Egon did. Because otherwise that doesn't jive with the first two movies. There is no gunner seat in, in Ecto in the first two movies. You, you know, actually, no, we're talking about, um, you remember that scene? Uh, so uh, Phoebe, Phoebe, Phoebe makes that call to Dan Aykroyd's character in his in his shop. And yeah, but, oh, by the way, it's Raise a Cult, which is a threat, which is an homage to Ghostbusters 2. So there is a Ghostbusters 2 reference there, one of a few uh, in the movie. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because Egon took Ecto, right? And so that means Egon would have had Ecto for at least a decade, right? Away yeah, at it for a long time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he he had it for a long time and did whatever he wanted to do with it, presumably. Yes, yeah. which 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 would make sense why there's now a gunner seat and the door goes the opposite way. Yeah. So I can I, I can I can kind of get around that. I just can't. I, I I have a hard time reconciling why there's why the ecto looks like the one from the first one, not the second one, unless they had just built a second car, maybe thinking that the Ghostbusters car from the first one. In the first movie was so dilapidated and beat up that they just would rather start over. But then again, when they first got the car at the beginning of Ghostbusters, it needed a whole bunch of work that Ray seemed to do to it. So why wouldn't they just do the work on it? You know what I mean? I just, I know that's really stupid, but my mind is just boggled by why that's not the case. But maybe there is a reason that they're going to do another Ghostbusters movie. Maybe there's going to be a lot of Ghostbusters 2 stuff in the next one. That would be cool. Which, yeah. which, th- which then would make sense. And maybe they would explain that in the next movie. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, th- those are really the only things that, that really came to mind. Um, you know, if, if those of you listening have any comments about what you saw that either you didn't understand or were confusing or maybe just downright frustrated you or whatever, please let us know. Um, leave us a, a comment on our Facebook page uh, on, on the, your podcast uh, subscription platform. Go over to our Discord channel and leave us a message there, uh, whatever you prefer. But uh, let us know what you think of that. Um, but overall, Chris, like we talked about, talked about um, it, the, the movie really was uh, pretty fantastic. Um, and like we said before, you got to watch it through the all the way through the movie, um, you know, through the end. And then there's a scene there right before the full credits roll. And then there's another scene at the very, very end of the credits. So make sure you stay for the entire thing until that, that screen in the movie theater goes completely black. Uh, because it's really, uh, it's really fantastic. Yeah, it absolutely is. So, um, yeah, make sure you stay for that. It's definitely worth it. Um, I would say I wouldn't say any of the scenes in there are earth shattering, but it's it's good to see those scenes. I think it kind of adds a little bit of extra flavor to the to the movie. Um, it, yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. It um, you know that for the first scene right at, right at the movie because you see Sigourney's Sigourney Weaver's name come up as a cast member yeah but you never see her yeah you never see her and until right right after that right right after her name and i thought that was perfect yeah i I think so too i think um it was a neat little ad um and so uh for me um it was cool to see that added in and then the little interplay between her and, and bill where they're doing the whole shock thing and he, she's holding up the cards and stuff, you know, like he did the beginning of the first Ghostbuster movie. And she, she shocks him, whatever. And, and he, she goes, I can't believe you did this to all your students. He's like, I only did it to the boys. Yeah. I thought it was just hilarious. Um, yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was really good. Uh, so um, that was good. The scene at the end with Winston saying that he's going to fix up the ghost, the Ecto and all that stuff. And you see the, the, the containment trap with the red blinking light at the very end. That was pretty cool too. Again, I think that scene right there tells you that they've left the door open so that if it does well, then maybe they're going to be green lighted to go do another movie. And that could then lead into the second movie uh, where uh, who knows, maybe, maybe some of the original guys come back one more time 
for a scene or something, or maybe not. I don't know, but I think that that could be really cool because obviously they they've taken care of the ghost situation in Somerville, so they don't. I don't think they really have a reason to stay. Yeah, maybe they go back. Maybe they go to. I think they were in New York originally, so maybe they go back to New York or something. And they the the kids are a little bit old, a couple years older now. And maybe they eventually become the new Ghostbusters. Yeah, I, the That's door's kind of my completely... initial thought. Yeah, you're right. The, the door's completely open too for for a new generation of Ghostbusters. And you know, you know, Winston the the Winston scene at the end, I really really liked because out yeah. of all the Ghostbusters, Winston is the one probably right most grounded in the real world and reality all right. of the like ray egon and and vigman they're just all in either they're out there they're either in academia or science or 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 wherever and it just made sense that you know winston was extremely successful in business um and and would be like like the reason that the Ghostbusters could continue because well, the other ones, they're just, they're just so out there. They can't manage themselves. Yeah. Well, remember, remember when, when, when he, go, he shows up for the job and he's like, if there's any paycheck involved, I'll believe anything you say. Like he's yeah. looking for a paycheck. Right. And, right. You know, so I think that was pretty cool. But, you know, besides the three main guys in Sigourney Weaver, we also get Annie Potts who yeah. played Janine. And that was cool to see her. You see her early on in the movie when they first show up to the old house and she walks in and she goes, can I help you and everything? So when you see that, it, this is, the, the, I guess, the, one of the things I was confused about. Mm -hmm. I assumed that Janine and Egon were, had, that, that uh, the daughter is theirs. But I don't think that's the case. Because, you know, in Ghostbusters 2, Janine falls for Rick Moranis' character, uh, Louis Tully, yeah. Um, and in this movie, when she sh when Annie Potts shows up in in the show as Janine in the movie as, as Janine, uh, she doesn't come across like it's her daughter. Yeah. She talks about her grandfather, or the grandfather being Egon for 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 her, uh, never being able to leave the lights out, keep the lights and stuff on. But she doesn't act like the mother. So they don't answer who Egon's wife was, or you know. Um, who, who the mother is and maybe, maybe that'll be answered in another Ghostbusters movie, but that's something that I, I, I kind of wish they would have answered unless that was intentionally done that way for a second movie. Yeah. You know, I I'm think not sure. you're right. Cause you could read it a couple different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when Callie's character and Annie Potts character, yeah. When, when they meet at the beginning, you're, you're, it's very, she's kind of a, you could see she's holding something back, right? She, she knows more than what she's saying. Yeah. Um, so, so there was that, that kind of interaction there. And then at, at the end, the end, end credits after that end scene, after the end credits, um, or what she's holding, a, she has this exchange with Egon and she's holding a, a medallion or something. It's a coin that they actually show from a cut scene from the first Ghostbusters movie as to how she got it, uh, which is which which was really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. It that was neat. And so she's holding that coin in that scene, right? Yeah. So you yeah. get the sense that they're they're dear dear friends, right? But but not that they had a kid together. Yeah. Yeah, I I I would tend to agree with you on that one. I I don't think that Janine is the mother. Um, 
if they did, it was a really awkward exchange there when she first comes into the movie. So I don't think she's the mom, but, but we don't know who was either. Maybe that'll be answered. Yeah. There's a lot more that they could obviously do with this and answer and, and everything. So that's pretty neat. Um, that being said, Chris, uh, overall, like I said, I, I would definitely give this movie an A minus a couple things that just kept me from giving it the full A, mm -hmm. but, but this movie was so spectacular for me. I, I think you hit it right on the head at the beginning of, of this episode when you were, when you mentioned that, um, this movie had the feels of the original Ghostbusters movies. It wasn't so fast paced and, and in your face and camera angles changing every two seconds, like so many movies are today, especially like a lot of Marvel movies that we enjoy. Um, this movie had a bit more of a pace similar to the original Ghostbusters movies. Like they, you know, Jason Reitman and his crew really did down to the nth degree, do a great job of, of, putting this movie together, making you feel the way you felt when you watched the original Ghostbusters. And to me, that was special. Yeah. Um, so obviously if you listen to us this far, you probably have already seen the movie. If you have not seen the movie and you don't care to be spoiled, now you've been spoiled. <laughs> so um, go watch the movie. And if you've already seen it, go watch it again. And if you've seen it a couple times, go watch it again, because um, I would love to get back to the theater and see this again. It just was so good and uh, definitely worth the time. Um, I don't know. Any, any final thoughts for you, Chris, on Ghostbusters Afterlife? That, that when the end credits rolled and then you hear the Ghostbusters theme music come on, that was uh, that br brought a lot of memories back, brought, brought nostalgia back, and it just felt, you felt good. It, yeah, I got goosebumps with that, man. Like, when the, when the screen starts to go black and they, they slowly bring in the Ghostbusters uh, a logo and name and everything, just like you see kind of in the original Ghostbusters movie, and the, and the Ray Park song comes on, Ghostbusters, uh, it, it, the nostalgia just sweeps you away. So they do a great job of creating a movie for a new generation mm -hmm. while also appealing to that extreme nostalgia of, a, of an older generation such as us. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there will be, you know, I'm sure there's, there's other people that, um, feel that the movie was just too, too nostalgic or too, uh, rooted in that way of thinking. And, Zach, you and I are not one of those people. And no. if, if, if listeners are, are listening, you know, it's okay uh, to not, to, you know, to not be bothered by that, but to love nostalgia. And my, my final thoughts are you know, when the end credits rolled and I heard that song, um, I just felt good. Every, you know, if there's anything, it, it just makes you feel good. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It, it uh, on, on so many levels. Um, it really appeals to so many people. So, well, Chris, this has been great. Um, I I'm glad we got to do this so so soon after the movie came out because this movie really was special and it was the right uh, script, the right plot. Some people may say, well, all they did was just go back and rehash the first Ghostbusters movie, right? Because you had the same the same ghostly villains from the first movie. You had the little, which we didn't really talk about them, but the, the little miniature Stay Puft Marshmallow Man the, in the Walmart, which were so freaking cute. Uh, even when they were toasting each other alive. And 
sticking, yeah. you know, the little Hawaiian uh, um, the umbrella drink things through their their faces and, you know, the blender scene, which is in the trailer. I mean, they were great. Uh, you know, the terror dogs and Gozer and stuff was just basically a rehash, kind of like Force Awakens was a rehash of New Hope. I disagree to an extent because there were some similarities to the first movie, yes, but not to the same extent that like the way Star Wars was done. So I could see people making that argument, but I would have to uh, disagree on different levels because the, there was a lot of things different about this. You had a similar uh, antagonist in Zool, and Gozer, uh, but you had a lot of differences too. So to me, that's kind of, I, I don't have an issue with it. Um, now I think I'm going to do another one and they just rehashed the Ghostbusters 2 uh, villain, um, you know, uh, Vigo, the <laughs> painting, then, then I might have some issues with that. But this, this I, I, don't, I don't mind the way they approach this and, and the fact that, bringing it back other than the fact like i said where i was confused of i thought they neutralized gozer and zool and all that uh in the first movie and how did they all of a sudden now they're back and they're bubbling up out of this mountain and that to me i didn't that to me i think could have been a little bit better done or explained a little bit better um yeah but yeah overall spectacular movie worth your time and uh really really happy and excited to talk about it this evening so um Thanks so much, you guys, for listening. This has been great. We really appreciate it. For all over the world, wherever you're listening from, whether it's Germany, Pakistan, Thailand, the United States, Canada, South America, wherever, we really do appreciate it. Uh, Chris, the next episode, I think we're going to talk about, and we talked about this before, I think we're going to get into some B movies, right? Some of the B sci-fi movies. And what do we mean by a B sci-fi movie? You're going to have to tune in to find out. But we're going to go into what is a B-movie in general and what are some of our favorite sci-fi movies and shows that we would consider like B-movie shows. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun to discuss because there's going to be a lot of, you know, not necessarily off the wall, but that they're not going to, you know, we talk so much, Chris, about like Marvel and MCU and Star Trek and Star Wars and all these big franchises. But there's a lot of other little ones that are really good that maybe not everybody's seen. And they need to get the love and support like the other franchises do because they're 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 special to us. And we're gonna talk about that on the next episode. Yeah, we sure do. We, we gotta search our memory banks. Uh, we do. We're gonna have to dust off the old cobwebs and come up with some stuff that we really enjoy. And I've got a few that I can think of <laughs> just even right now that I'm excited to discuss. So nice. uh, I'm looking forward to that, Chris. So thanks as always, everybody, for listening. We do appreciate it. Be sure to hit us up on Facebook and on Discord. Let us know what you think. Uh, we really do appreciate your listenership and, uh, thanks again, Chris, as always for jumping on here and doing this with me. Thank you. Uh, this, this has been awesome. I, I, I love our, our chats here on, on the podcast. It's been great. Uh, and we look forward to uh, talking more next time. So thanks everybody. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the random Richard podcast. Take care. <laughs>